Freedom Hut. More BLM riots after a police-involved shooting in Wisconsin. Get ready for the RNC this week, my friends. Plus, is CNN for or against convalescent plasma to work? And Garden Gate with Melania is a thing. This This is the Buck Sexton Show, where the mission mission is to decode what really matters with actionable intelligence. Make no mistake. America, great. You're a great American again. The Buck Sexton Show begins. Former CIA analyst. Former member of the NYPD. He's a great guy. It is Buck Sexton. Now. Welcome, everybody, to the Buck Sexton Show. I trust you had a restful and hopefully joyful weekend, or at least able to get away from some of the craziness of it. I cannot believe we're closing in on Labor Day, and this year, depending on the moment you ask me, feels like it's flying by or is interminable. Uh, But certainly the election is approaching very, very quickly. As soon as I saw the first few tweets about it over the weekend, as soon I I tried to log off a bit. I I try not to be somebody who's just constantly in the conservative media matrix. But I did take some time to just catch up a bit yesterday. And I I saw the the initial round of news reports on what had happened in Wisconsin. Now, I've been telling you. Uh, for many weeks now, just wait until there's another police involved shooting like what we've seen before that has led to riots. And this time around, it could be even uh, more extreme because the politics of this are just concentrated right now. There are polls that are showing a very close race between Trump and Biden. And here's what I'm here's what I'm quite confident in. If Biden doesn't have an enormous lead right now, uh, the Democrats should be very concerned. You'd say, Buck, wait a second. Trump is the incumbent. Shouldn't he be? No. Given what we've gone through this year and what the the troubles that the economy has been through and just the the fear and the change in our lives from and on all the lost lives from covid-19, the incumbent right now should be in, in the weakest position he could ever be in uh, during the whole four years of Trump's presidency. But it's already looking like this is going to be a tight race. And I'm a I'm a firm believer in when you look at covid and the economy, uh, we are going to be bouncing back. They, they can't they're, they're going to have to lessen their grip. They can't continue the lockdowns forever. It's becoming untenable for them much more slowly than I would like. And I'm very surprised and quite honestly disappointed that so many people just go along with this nonsense. So many people have said, yeah, sure, I'll do whatever the government tells me to do here after they've been wrong and wrong and wrong again. But they're losing their ability to tell you to sit down, shut up and do what we say, peasant. It's not quite what it used to be. They're losing their grip on your day to day lives. And with that, there'll be more optimism, prosperity, more of a return of our individual freedoms which is going to result in, I believe, a very resounding victory if we get there for Donald Trump. So anything that can prevent that, anything that the left sees as destructive and damaging, anything that can be a point to bring us all down, right, to make us all feel like things are only getting worse, that's what the Democrats are going to try. These are Democrats. They are Biden voters once again, rampaging through the streets, lighting things on fire. And it's not even just in Kenosha, Wisconsin. There are other places where this is happening. But let's start with this. What what is the circumstance 
of this latest police-involved shooting that has now led to a whole series of riots, uh, looting, mayhem on the streets. Well, you had police called to a domestic dispute. Anybody who knows anything about law enforcement, which I say that because it makes sure that we exclude 99% of our news media. News media doesn't know anything about the law or law enforcement. Overwhelmingly, they're just concerned with the retweets from the libs and the hairspray and how they look on camera. That's what 99% of TV journalists are really thinking about all the time. They, they don't know anything about law enforcement. They don't know anything about what it's really like. And, you know, you'd think maybe they could do some more ride-alongs and spend some time with law. No, no, they, that's all. They don't do any of that. They are firmly, I mean, the Democrat Party, the left, which includes, we could say the Democrat Party now is under the left's umbrella, or maybe the, the left is under the Democrat Party's umbrella, uh, but they are firmly anti-cop. They've decided, they've made this position, uh, they've, made, they've taken this position that uh, being anti-police is central to their ideology at this moment. Doesn't mean they're going to get rid of all cops, but they want to blame the cops for everything. Blame the cops. Way easier than looking at the deep and long-standing dysfunction in high crime, high poverty, uh, low family unity communities. Far easier to just blame the cops constantly than to look at what's really going on and the Democrat control of these areas and the Democrat policies that perpetuate those same cycles of fatherlessness, poverty, crime. These are Democrat policies that lead into this. But they don't want to have that discussion. It's so much easier to look at what's going on with police and to just point the finger at them. So, so here is what we know. Uh, police were called to a, uh, a domestic dispute. And I brought this up just because domestic disputes are, I think, second only to traffic stops for violence against cops. You'd think, well, why is that? That doesn't seem to make sense, right? Isn't the most dangerous thing a law enforcement officer does to go into a high-risk warrant, you know, as part of the SWAT team or as part of a, you know, a high-value high target operation? Well, they're prepared for it. And yes, those are, those are dangerous when they do no-knock warrants on uh, violent felons. That's obviously dangerous dangerous work for law enforcement but there are far more domestic violence disputes and traffic stops and there's a tremendous amount of unpredictability in them they can go bad very quickly you can see this there's dash cam footage of a police officer will walk up to a car for a minor traffic stop and a a felon who is in possession of a firearm instead of just dealing with the speeding ticket as soon as the cop realizes who he's dealing with, they'll pull it. The guy will pull a gun and shoot the officer out of, you know, it'll just happen in the blink of an eye. That's what cops deal with every day across the country. That's the reality of being in law enforcement. It's the risk they take to not just keep all of us safe, to keep society together, to prevent our society from, from crumbling at its foundations. Because if it just turns into might makes right and the mob makes the rules, we, we are in, for nothing but violence, misery, despair. We're in a Habesian world. Jacob Blake, 29 years old, was, they will continuously describe him this way because they're, they're going to hit the, the pressure points on racial division in this country, right? And the media knows this is what they're supposed to do. An unarmed black man was shot seven times by a white cop in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Notice they always will describe the race of the officer if the officer is white. Usually if the officer is not white, 
the officer is you know Filipino or if the offer officer is of Puerto Rican or Mexican descent, that'll often be left out. Or maybe the media will do what they did with George Zimmerman and describe him as a white Hispanic or something along those lines. Right. Just just to make sure they fit things into the narrative. So Jacob Blake, uh, who was who was uh, unarmed, was shot seven times. My understanding as we go to air right now is that he's in critical condition, but he is alive. And that's that's an important component of this, too. Remember, there this is not a fatality uh, yet. My understanding is he's in critical but stable condition right now. So this is in Kenosha, Wisconsin. Police were responding to a domestic incident at a home in the area. We don't know much more about the details of this. And the video shows Blake walking toward an SUV that we've all seen this video now. Blake is walking toward an SUV. Police already have their firearms drawn. Right? They already have their firearms drawn and they are saying, stop, stop, stop. And the witnesses are saying that Blake was trying to break up an argument between women in a home nearby. That remains to be verified. That's that's what some witnesses on the scene have said. So in the video, you see Blake go into the car and he reaches for something with police telling him to stop all along the way in the video. He is reaching for something on the pass on the driver's side of the vehicle. I also read that they had tried to stop him uh, with a with a taser, although I want to make sure that that fact, because, look, there's a lot. This is what ends up happening. You know, we are asked we are asked to do all kinds of analysis. We're asked to do all kinds of uh, of assessments. And. Before we even get the facts in. Video shows Wisconsin police, according to The Washington Post, shooting a black man multiple times, trying to break up a fight and that police first attempted to taser him. Okay, friends, if so, if the cops have already tried to taser you. They have their weapons drawn. So I just want to make sure we 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 confirm that fact. The Washington Post is reporting it. So trust me, if, if they could, they would avoid that fact. They've already used less than lethal because I kept seeing this. People saying, why didn't they do something else? Why didn't they do something else? If the cops have already resorted to tasering you. You are now moving along the force escalation procedures if you refuse to obey, if you refuse commands. You know, and I understand the left has completely the Democrats have completely lost their minds on this. There is a mass moral panic among libs where they're now saying, well, you know, if cops have to get shot so that we avoid having, you know, a thrice convicted felon getting shot for clearly posing a threat to officers. Right. Or, or that a cop can get shot because he doesn't want to get first tasered with his own taser and then be completely helpless and hope that the guy who's already tasered a law enforcement officer doesn't take his weapon and kill him right there. If I had a gun on me and someone tried to use a less than lethal on me and, and, and I'm the cops and they are a suspect, I would defend myself as though that weapon is now in play, which means I would be willing to use lethal force. Uh, otherwise, what about what about a brick to the head? Turns out a Kenosha, uh, Wisconsin police officer on video got hit with a brick to the head. Fortunately, there were other officers around to take to uh, take action, but com- knocked out completely cold, totally cold right there. By the way, you could kill somebody with that. You hit someone in the head with a brick. They could die. Oh, but they're BLM protesters. Well, they're not protesters. 
They're BLM rioters, criminals, thugs. That's what's going on in Wisconsin right now. Let's be very clear about this. The media is going to do this all. Oh, we need to have another national. There's no national conversation that needs to be had about how bad the cops are. Maybe we should have a national conversation about when law enforcement have weapons drawn on you because they are concerned that you are a threat and you refuse in broad daylight to comply and you are reaching into a place where people often keep a firearm. They may shoot you instead of waiting to see if you shoot them first. That would be a national conversation that might actually save lives. And I mean that. No, but instead... You have the media, Hollywood, NBA players, Democrat politicians. Instead of doing what would be helpful here, which is to tell people in a in a situation we're dealing with law enforcement, fight it out later in court. Obey commands. If they have guns drawn on you and you basically say, I don't care, you're not going to shoot me and you refuse to obey commands, they may end up shooting you. This could happen. And I don't uniformly or, or, or every time agree with what cops are doing. I've talked about the, the Daniel Shaver. I've talked about uh, the, the shooting in South Carolina. I've talked about different incidents where you've had uh, police, I think, uh, act in a way that was out of line. Right? Right? Daniel Shaver was shot by Officer Brailsford on January 18th of 2016. I, I wrote about this on the Hill. I thought that was I thought that was just a straight up uh, murder. And there was a, a police involved shooting in South Carolina. And we all saw it on video. And it was uh, Walter Scott was the individual. We all saw it. That was that also to me looked like I mean, manslaughter. But yes, that was a homicide. An illegal murder of a human being. A guy was running. A guy was running away, did not pose any threat based on what we could see, didn't turn around to engage, wasn't attacking the officer. You can't shoot a guy in the back. Uh, So that was Walter Scott on armed black man. So it does happen, but it doesn't happen frequently enough for the media's liking. And the Shaver video, the Daniel Shaver video, the guy is begging for his life, groveling on the ground. and, And two officers have long guns drawn on him. And they just one of them, just one of the officers just shoots him. A whole bunch of times in the ground. I mean, it's the most horrific thing I think I've seen in video in a very long time. So is the Walter Scott video. It does happen. But what we're seeing in Kenosha, Wisconsin, we, we, first of all, we need more facts. I, I want to know, uh, are they going to wait? Are they going to wait to tell us, was there a weapon? Was there a firearm in the car? Wouldn't that be one of the single, you know, one of the single most important facts to get out right away? Just like, wouldn't it be very important to know that in the case of George Floyd, he was saying, I can't breathe for about seven to eight minutes before anyone put any force or pressure anywhere on his body. George Floyd was saying he couldn't breathe because he was supposed to sit in a car because he said that he was having a, a he has claustrophobia or is having a panic attack. So doesn't that factor into the heartlessness that seemed to be the case on the video of an officer putting a knee on his back or on his neck and him saying, I can't breathe? Yes, maybe that officer was using excessive force, but it's certainly relevant that the same guy was saying he couldn't breathe because he had to sit in a car. But they kept that video from you. They kept that video from you. Okay, what are we going to see here? Was there a weapon in the car? 
If there's a weapon in the car and this guy is going, I, I can't imagine what he thinks he's doing here. What, what is the thought process for Jacob Blake as he has multiple police, broad daylight, guns drawn on him saying, stop, stop, stop. And he keeps going around. He's reaching into his car. What could he possibly be doing that, one, he couldn't stop and say to the officers, hold on a second, guys, I've, I've got a, I've got a, you know, my ID I've got to show. I mean, what is he doing? Dude, no, no, let's suspend all of those questions right now and just look at a video. Unarmed black man shot. Now let's riot. Now let's loot. Let's burn down car dealerships. There's video of it everywhere. Let's throw rocks and bricks at cops. This is barbarism. This is anarchy. And the good people in this country, the good people who want law and order, who want safety and civility and decency, people of all races, creeds and colors, 99.9% of the actual American people want to be safe, don't want to see cops hit with bricks in the face. But it only takes, you know, a few hundred or a few thousand here or there who feel like the Democrat Party has given them license for exactly what we are seeing here. Get ready for it. They're going to lie to you. They're going to destroy and they're going to look at you in the face and say, what are you going to do about it? I hope America remembers that when we are all voting in a matter of weeks. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. So while cops are being hit with bricks in the face, while car dealerships and other businesses are being burned down, while stores are being looted in Wisconsin, Antifa running wild over the weekend in Denver as well. I saw that. So this is this is a widespread phenomenon of left wing Democrat backed insanity. Well, all that's happening. What do the Democrats actually say about this? I want everyone to pay very close attention. Are they outraged? By the businesses being burned down? What, what does the car dealer in Kenosha, Wisconsin, have to do with a guy getting shot? Why should his business be ruined? His employees now without a paycheck. Oh, because Democrats are angry? Oh, okay. No, not okay. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. President Trump says that you want to defund the police. Do you? <laughs> no, I don't. By the way, he proposes cutting a half a billion dollars out of local police support. Look, what the police need is the police. First of all, there has to be national standards that, in fact, apply to every police department in the country. And that's what we're going to do. I don't want to defund police departments. I think they need more help. Mm -hmm. They need more assistance. We have to make it clear that this is about protecting neighborhoods, protecting people, everybody across the board. So the only guy that actually put in a bill to actually defund the police is Donald Trump. This is incoherent blather from Biden, which is not surprising. This is complete bullcrap. OK, first of all, let's let's see the the way that the, the Democrat uh, ticket handled this issue this week. See, see the way they try to pretend. Well, we're not saying we're against the police. We're just saying we're kind of anti-cop sometimes whenever it's politically useful but then when we want soccer moms in Ohio to vote for us, we realize that we sound like a bunch of lunatics. So then we have a different tune that we sing. Oh, OK. I'm, I'm so glad that that has been 
explained so thoroughly. It's not just Biden who wait, but before I before I get to the Kamala referred to by some of her critics as cop Kamala because she was not ever law enforcement, but sat in a comfortable air conditioned office her, her whole career and decided who would get sent to prison and who wouldn't and for how and for how long based on the charges brought uh, really rooted in what was most effective for Kamala Harris's political career. That was the distinction. That was what was so meaningful to her. Right? What helps Kamala? Not what helps society. What's fair? You know, there's been some some research done into whether Kamala was willing to allow people that she thought to be innocent to go to prison. That's something I want to dig into, too, because if I bring that to you, I want it to be rock solid. I think there's really almost nothing that comes to mind in the realm of, of corruption and abuse of power that you'll see from a prosecutor than that. Than, ha- than knowingly allowing an innocent person to go to prison or knowingly allowing an innocent person to be punished. You should be willing, if you have the power, <clears throat> the power of a prosecutor's office, you should be willing to resign your job. You should be willing to lose your career in prosecution in order to make sure that a person you know is innocent not spend a day in prison, or else you should not take the job. You have no business. You have no moral position to take on it. But now we go back to Biden. He, he does the usual Democrat answer on law enforcement right now because they can't really speak plainly, right? You ask Trump about cops. What does he say? I like cops. Cops are good. Cops protect us. You ask Democrats about cops. It's, you know, well, there's, you know, Biden's, uh, you know, there's a thing here. And, um, you know, uh, like the fact that law enforcement, you know, and sometimes uh, how is why is this a complicated answer? Law enforcement is absolutely necessary for the functioning of our society. I mean, to to talk about defunding cops would be like saying uh, we we need to defund the military. Okay, we're just not going to have a military. I'm sure you could get AOC and some of the other idiot leftists out there and say, just like imagine what the country would be like if we didn't have a military. It'd be amazing because they're morons. The Democrats elevate morons routinely. That's not new. But now they're trying to elevate them to the top of the ticket. I mean, I'll say this. Obama wasn't as smart as the liberal media pretended he was. Obama's a lot smarter than Joe Biden. Yeah, see, I look at things in a reality-based world. Joe Biden's a moron. Now, his answer about cops, his answer about cops is telling because it's, oh, Trump is the one who doesn't really want to put more cops on the street. And then it turns into, we want more training, we want more assistance. Well, what he's really describing is the federalization of law enforcement. And I guess he doesn't have any understanding of police powers being left to the states. And there's a reason for that. But the federalization of or the federalizing of law enforcement should be something that Democrats hate, because how long ago was it? Three, four weeks now, maybe. When federal law enforcement, essentially federal police, doing their job to protect a courthouse in Portland, Oregon, were being described as stormtroopers. And people were using comparisons to fascist Nazi Germany for our federal law enforcement officers because Democrats were in one of their constant tantrums and they realized that it looks bad that you got mobs of Biden voters, overwhelmingly white Biden voters in, uh, in Portland, 
who are claiming they care so much about BLM and are part of this Antifa movement when they are, in fact, the brown shirts, if there are any. They are, in fact, the fascists out in the streets. But indeed, indeed, the uh, Democrats don't know what the messaging is supposed to be on all of this. Federal cops are good. Federal cops are bad. We want more law enforcement. We want less law enforcement. They can't speak honestly to the American people. So what they're going to do is tell different people different things. When it comes to this election and what the Democrat Party is going to say, they will say whatever they have to on whatever day and whatever time that they think will be effective for that audience. And all of the contradictions, all of the absurdities, all the lies will be covered up by their quizzling lackeys in the media. That's what's going to happen. It's already happening. Kamala is asked whether she would like to see more police on the street. Here's what she says. Play 13. The book that you wrote 10 years ago, Smart on Crime, where you conclude by saying that you wanted to see more police on the street. Do you still feel that way? Listen, I think that there is no question. First of all, when I wrote that book, we, Black Lives Matter did not exist. And I give full credit to the brilliance of that movement in terms of what it has done to advance a conversation that needed to happen a long time ago. What Black Lives Matter has done as a movement has been to be a counterforce against a very entrenched status quo around the criminal justice system in America. And that's why I'm so excited about what we can do in terms of a new administration in the White House that is about taking on these issues in a way that makes clear that the American people are ready for it and they want it. And so it's about a policy that says we're going to ban chokeholds and carotid holes. George Floyd would be alive today if there had been such a ban. We need that ban. That's part of the policy and the platform that a Biden-Harris administration is going to fight for. I'm, I'm sorry. What was her answer? I mean, there's a lot of words. There's a lot of stuff she's saying. Uh, counterforce to the status quo. BLM has burned down neighborhoods, hundreds of businesses across the country, created tens of millions, perhaps now into the hundreds of millions of dollars of damage, murdered. People have died because of BLM riots. W what has it done that has made things better? Are things better in Chicago because of BLM right now? Are things better in Kenosha, Wisconsin right now because of BLM? Are they better in Atlanta? Are they better in, in New York, Portland, Seattle, Denver? Fi find me a place where relations between the minority community and the police are improved, where overall public safety, including for predominantly minority, uh, minority areas, is better. Find me one place. Oh, ban carotid holds and, and ban chokeholds. They used a taser on this guy in, in Kenosha and it didn't stop him. W what are they allowed? To, do you want to see cops start d using strikes instead of holds? D do they not understand the reason that there are holds, that there are pressure holds that are used is so you don't have to do damage. You don't have to do uh, striking damage to people. With those of you out there, I know there's a lot of military and law enforcement listens to this show you know, if you can hold somebody and restrain them, that's uncomfortable for them. But you're, you're you know, you're not going to usually crack a rib or break a nose or shatter a kneecap. 
So cops, we don't want them using their guns when someone's trying to trying to wrestle them, take them to the ground. We don't want them just going for their gun. But now we're telling them what? It's always going to be a boxing match? Just wait until you see the first video of a cop who has to take a swing at somebody, punches a, a, an assailant, punches a suspect in the face, and that person goes blind in one eye because they get struck above the temple. I mean, you, our, our elites, our media class and politicians have no idea of what life is actually like for law enforcement officers who are dealing with this stuff every day. We have, I'm just gonna, we have a lot of female law enforcement out there. Uh, the fact of the matter, despite what the libs will tell you, is that your average 200 pound, you know, five foot ten male is going to be able to physically, easily physically overpower nine out of ten female police officers. Just a fact. People can they can yell and say, oh, no, what about Ronda Rousey? I said nine out of ten, not 100 percent, but nine out of ten. It's true. So what are we leaving them now as a use a taser? Sometimes a taser doesn't work. Now, what do you do? Right. This is the society that we live in now, one in which you have the people in charge not allowing those who act in the name of the people to protect all of us to use force appropriately because it doesn't look good on cell phone videos sometimes that's what we're seeing otherwise it just turns into with every time somebody says i'm not getting arrested today we know that soros back prosecutors aren't going to uh, aren't going to throw the book at them for assault on a cop that's going to be you know resisting arrest oh no he didn't he wasn't really resisting you know they'll they'll throw that out that'll be a minor charge no one's going to prison for a long time because they wrestled the cop to the ground so cops can't use can't can't use any kind of, of, of restraint hold that involves the neck. By the way, they, they make it sound like this is this is, uh, you know, a, a a collegiate wrestling match or something where there's a referee. And, oh, hold on. You know, you no full Nelson, only a half Nelson. You're trying to restrain somebody so that they are not a threat to you or others as a cop. It's your strength against their strength. And I know we want to believe that all of our cops All they do is work out all the time and do jujitsu training, but that's not reality. But Kamala ultimately knows this. She doesn't care. She doesn't care. That's why she went on this whole thing about, oh, you know, we're going to get rid of chokeholds. That's going to chokeholds aren't going to stop people from shooting people. Right. Cops are still going to have to go. In fact, you could argue that by by having such strict now, if a cop has to put their arms around someone's head to stop them from reaching in for a gun or grabbing a knife. They're more likely to go for their firearm, right? Well, what else are they going to do? This is all entirely predictable. And the Democrat Party, because of their endless race baiting, because of their endless uh, exploitation of identity politics and the divisions that it creates, they have, they, they have no interest in backing away from any of this. The fact that the most recent Gallup polling shows over 80% of law I'm sorry, over 80% of African Americans want more or the same amount of cops in their neighborhoods. How can that not speak volumes to the media and the Democrat elites? How can that not be everything that they need to know to tell us that, no, we want safer communities, more cops, not less? Their, their rallying cry is defund police. I believe in listening to your opponents when they tell you what their plans are. That is the Democrat rallying cry 
of the last four months. Defund police. And now they act like, oh, no, it doesn't really mean defund police. In fact, Joe Biden's telling you with a straight face they want to have more funding for police. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought it was def- D. Does defund mean more funding? This is what we're up against. A pathetic, emotionally fragile group of frauds known as the Democrat establishment, the DNC, the mainstream media, the activist class, and yes, BLM. This is what we're up against. This could be coming very soon to your city, to your area. As I told you, I was in a small town, New Paltz, New York. There was a BLM protest on Main Street. Uh, the Ma- Main Street was, you know, a couple of hundred yards long, and that was it. I mean, it's a tiny town, BLM protest there. You think that's not going to come to your neighbor? Now, if it's just a protest, that's fine. But these protests turn into looting and rioting time and time again. But we're told, oh, there's, there's no similarity, there's no comparison, there's no uh, connection whatsoever between any of these things. Well, we're smart enough to know that's a lie. And we know they're lying to us. And we know that it's time the Democrat Party is held to account for all of this. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Over the last week, the Democrats held the darkest and angriest and gloomiest convention in American history. They spent four straight days attacking America as racist and a horrible country that must be redeemed. Joe Biden grimly declared a season of American darkness. And yet, look at what we've accomplished until the plague came in. Look at what we've accomplished. And now we're doing it again. The most successful period of time in the history of our country, from every standard, look what we've accomplished. And now this plague comes in, and look at the way they talk. But look at what's happening, and look at how we're shooting up. We call it a super V. It's no longer a V. It's a super V. And they didn't think that could happen, and they're probably not happy about it. They want to punish America and its citizens instead of holding them high. Where Joe Biden sees American darkness, I see American greatness. President Trump telling us what I think we've all seen, which is that the Democrat message for America is everything is horrible and it's all Trump's fault. It's not true. Now, if the Democrat Party were an opposition party that I would think was deserving of your respect, they would take the opportunity, because uh, remember, they're in, they have many governors, Governor of California, Governor of New York, huge states in Democrat hands. They have that. They have a majority in the House. A lot of things the Democrats could do to show leadership and to show a willingness to try to make things better. They don't want to make things better. They just want to talk about how terrible everything is because that benefits them politically. And in fact, they actively make things worse. That's what you have to remember as they uh, talk about the shooting this week. And I think you are going to see you're going to see a week of looting and rioting, not just in Wisconsin, but probably in a, in a handful of, of cities, maybe more across America. I hope that's not true. I hope I'm wrong. But didn't I tell you before, we're going to have another shooting and another round of this. And if anything, it's likelier to get much uglier before the election. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
It's good to see you all. Hope you had a great weekend at your convention. <laughs> That's one of my favorite Trump moments in a while. You know, he's talking to the media and he's just like, look, guys, I, we're not going to I'm not going to play this game where we act like you're not a bunch of hacks doing the DNC's bidding. So just just a little bit of a of a playful jab. And I'll tell you this. The media doesn't think it's playful at all. They take themselves so seriously. Why is Trump being so mean to us? We're just journos. We're just doing what we need to do. We're just the journos. I don't understand. But he's right. There was all of this swooning and, oh my gosh, they got the vapors at the DNC. Joe Biden, the best speech of his life. It was amazing. Whatever. It was, it was definitely a uh, whatever moment. But we have the RNC coming up this week. And this is going to be one of those compare and contrast moments in our politics. Think about, try, try to do your best. For those of you that watch, and I don't know how much of this you even watched in the past, but for those of you who are watching any parts of the DNC, which was overwhelmingly boring, poorly produced, and completely unmemorable. The best thing was the guy who did, oh, what was the, what, what's the, the song, the, 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 you know, something happening here, stop baby, you know, I forgot what it was called on the show, and now I'm forgetting again. Buffalo Springfield, Buffalo Springfield. The, the version of the Buffalo Springfield song that was on, I think, the first night at the end, that was the most memorable thing from the entire dnc because it was so cheesy oh it was great uh, it was so much fun but they're having this convention and you have to wonder what are people supposed to take from this but i, I don't know I, it's a process right it's it's a tradition it's i'm sure they have a lot of ways they could try to justify wasting all of our time with it and, and i'm look i'm not gonna sit here and tell you i think the rnc is gonna you know, blow the wheels off the bus, so to speak. I think it's going to be fine. I think you'll see a, a great speech from Trump because if you like Trump, if you hate Trump, everything he says is horrible. It doesn't matter what he does. But I think that you'll see a much happier, much more uh, hopeful vision of the future and one in which we also can look at who gets stuff done. I mean, who can show results? Uh, you have Mark Meadows pointing out that, I mean, Trump has done more, not just as president, but did more in, in a few months than Biden did in a very long 40-year career in politics. Play five. This president will focus on the American people this week coming up. And, and when we look at it, uh, you know, listen, that, that speech that Joe Biden gave uh, was very much like a speech that he had given in 2008. But this is not about speeches. This Joe Biden has been in office for over 40 years. Politicians give speeches. What we're looking for is action. This president has shown action each and every day. Joe Biden has barely passed two bills, one of which he's trying to run away uh, from because of the left. Uh, and when we look at it, this president accomplished more in his first hundred days than Joe Biden did in the last 40 years. It's about action. This president is willing to do that. You'll see a real difference this week when we start focusing on well, the I people that the president's policy is actually affected. And that's going to be a huge difference. Now, look, the, the party in power obviously gets to talk more about the actions of the president than the party that is in opposition. I mean, let's we keep it real here. Let's be honest about what we're seeing and what's happening. 
But the, the Democrats are, are just running on a theory that everything is is terrible, that the country is falling apart because of Trump. And if you're looking for things that are making the country more miserable and that are destructive economically, destructive to our freedoms, Democrats are supporting those things. We've been talking about the riots and the looting and the anti-cop sentiment that is so central to the Democrat theme of 2020. I mean, being anti-cop is now to be a Democrat, right? If you are where the DNC is, you think that the police are racist and you think that cops are the problem. That's if you're a Democrat, that's what you're told to say. That's what you're told to think. If you're a Republican, you can have a very different point of view. Uh, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, for example, she's representative of the the vanguard of the Democrat left. She, she's one of the people that the media is propping up as as the up and coming voice of the socialist Marxist Democrat left. Here's what she says. Play six. Do you hear that? That's our democracy crumbling. I want all of my neighbors, I want all of America to know why the People's House is here for an emergency vote on Saturday while the Senate Majority Leader McConnell went on vacation. We are experiencing a global pandemic, and now our U.S. Postal Service is under attack. Let it be clear, this administration is waging an authoritarian campaign to sabotage this election by manipulating the Postal Service to suppress our votes. And they are threatening the livelihood of our postal workers, our seniors, our veterans, and so many more in the process. This is not a conspiracy theory. This is fascism. We will not stand for this now or ever. In Michigan right now, machines capable of sorting 35,000 pieces of mail per hour have disappeared from postal facilities. Brave workers are blowing the whistle and saying that they've never seen anything like this. I mean, she's completely out of her mind. And uh, not somebody that you would want to give you advice on anything in your life. Not someone you'd want to have to count on in any kind of a work or personal situation. Rashida Tlaib is nuts. What she's saying here has already been thoroughly refuted by anyone who's actually paying attention to the facts. DeJoy has come forward and pointed out he's the head of the he's the postmaster general, head of the Postal Service, that they froze any changes to anything, not because they were that that he had ordered anything to be different, but because they didn't even want there to be the perception, the whiff of impropriety. I said, fine, fine, we'll, we'll keep everything exactly. No cuts to overtime, no changes to post office box. Well, nothing can change right now. We will freeze the post office as it is, which is a highly inefficient, multi-billion dollar a year in the red mess. But we'll keep it as it is. Do you think that they're going to stop saying that democracy itself is under assault because of the post office? Do you notice a, a, a similarity here? You're, you're seeing this thread play out. Uh, the Russian Internet trolls of the 2016 election that bought some Facebook ads that were meant to sow dissent in this country. And it was it was a, a tiny amount of money spent on Facebook. I mean, it, the whole thing is so absurd and so dumb. It's not even. If what they said was true about Russia, let's say that Trump was was actually in on it and everything else, which, of course, is a lie. And that's not. But if everything was happening as they claimed it was, it's the dumbest conspiracy I have ever heard of. It's not going to work. No one really thinks that's going to. And think of the risk you are taking. 
right? This would be like robbing a bank for $10. Why would you ever do that? You're going to go to prison for, you know, 10 or 15 years for armed robbery. You're going to rob a bank for $10? Put aside the immorality of the robbery. I'm just saying, even from a, from a criminal perspective, it wouldn't make any sense. They're, they're going to steal the election by sabotaging the post office? The whole thing is sloppy. The whole thing makes no sense. How is that going to work? Think of the trail that would be left. Think of the, the risks that they would be taking. Ah, but the conspiracy is useful, no matter how absurd it is, because people will believe it. No matter what is done now, no matter what the truth is of the Postal Service and how this election plays out, if Biden and Kamala Harris, the, the most uninspiring Democrat ticket since Carrie Edwards. Yeah, that was a thing that happened. If if Biden Harris lose this election, you will have for the next four years. Major media outlets claiming that it was stolen because of this post office conspiracy. This is the this is Russia redux or Russia 2.0 conspiracy nonsense, right? Except they're already going to they're going to say Russia's interfering too. They're they're already laying that groundwork. No one apparently cares that as the president points out, who does China want to win this election? Play 10. Okay, well, look back for the last three and a half years. I'm the only one that ever took on China. And you saw the intelligence reports where they say China is working hard to get Joe Biden elected. If he gets elected, China will own our country. I've taken billions and billions, tens of billions of dollars in taxes out of China. I gave them to our farmers because they targeted wrongly our farmers. They thought that would put pressure on me. They could get whatever they wanted. So they target us, and it's no good. So if you look at... um, what we've done with China, nobody's ever done to China. If you look at what we've done to China, nobody's ever done what Trump has done. That's true. Trump's trade war. Remember the trade war was going to destroy our economy or be a huge drag on our economy, do all these terrible things. Oh, the 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 free trade absolutists out there who don't seem to ever stop and think, hold on a second. We don't have free trade with China. So adhering to a free trade principle with someone who is not trading freely with you doesn't really make a lot of sense, does it? But the the Washington consensus, as it's called, the Beltway conventional wisdom from from think tanks, the Republican and Democrat Party. Oh, this was bipartisan. Chamber of Commerce, all the rest of it. They were saying, no, no. This is a terrible idea. You can't you can't confront China on this. And now we realize that China's. uh war of information theft from us and it's one-way trade war are all part and parcel of the same plan just to supplant us as the world's preeminent power and they're executing on that plan we can sit around and say maybe one day china will be nice to us but that's not the plan they're executing on they're trying to beat us they're trying to defeat us Biden is the choice of China. Should that matter to anybody? Well, we've heard for four years that Trump was the choice of Russia, and that was uh, that was supposed to keep us up at night. That was terrifying. Trump was Putin's puppet. Is Biden Xi's puppet? Xi Jinping? Do we know? Does anyone really doubt? I mean, couldn't we have someone in the intelligence community, quote, leak, right? 
couldn't they leak something to the press about this one? I mean, just call one of their buddies in the media and say, hey, uh, there's an assessment. Won't tell you what it is. It says that China wants Biden to win. That would just be telling us what we already know. If you had to ask any analyst in the intelligence community who's not a total moron, if you could ask anybody paying attention to world affairs, does China want Biden to win? The answer has to be yes. What does that tell you? What does it tell you that our only real... Russia's not a competitor, folks. Russia doesn't really matter, all right? It's like a... It's a, you know, a bigger version of Belarus with more natural gas and, yes, a whole bunch of nukes, but they're not doing anything. They got maybe a trillion-dollar economy. It's a fraction of the U.S. economy. They, They can't keep up. They're not a serious player. China's a serious player, and they have very negative designs on the future of this world, including pushing us aside and then dictating to us how it's going to be on trade, then dictating to the United States what your children and grandchildren will be able, uh, the, the kind of lives they'll be able to lead, the kind of prosperity America will have in the global marketplace. That's China's plan. And they want Joe Biden to win. Don't, don't you think that that's meaningful? I, we've been told that Russia wanting Trump to win just proves how terrible Trump is. But our real adversary wants Biden. We all know it. Why is that? Biden's not a man of any conviction, a man of any of any courage. Biden goes where the wind blows. And China is so much more influential and powerful when it comes to our elections even than Russia. The NBA will not criticize China. Okay? The biggest companies in America are terrified of angering China. Google will will do China's bidding on things and then turn around and say that they won't work with U.S. defense contractors. Right? Apple will take all this posturing in this country about how liberal the company is and everything else and then, you know, have the biggest sweatshops in the world operating to build your iPhone in China. Uh, This is such a bigger concern, such a bigger threat. But... The biggest threat of all, if you're a lib lunatic, is Trump. And so nothing else matters. Cozying up to China, even having China intervene in the election, most true believer libs, you talk to them, they say, well, as long as Trump loses, that's all that matters. It doesn't matter how it happens. See, this is the end result of the elimination of principle and its replacement with false moral indignation and an addiction to self-righteousness that comes as really the most uh, the, the single most defining characteristic of the modern Democrats ideology. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Under the blistering attacks we've seen from President Trump just this week alone on your mental fitness, whether you're <laughs> up for the job, his campaign has called you diminished. And I'm curious how you'd respond to that. Watch me, Mr. President, watch me. Look at us both, what we say, what we do, what we control, what we know, what kind of shape we're in. Come on. This is, look, I think it's a legitimate question to ask anybody over 70 years old whether or not they're fit and whether they're ready. 
But uh, I just, the only thing I can say to the American people, it's a legitimate question to ask anybody, watch me. Let's put the attacks aside then. The American people remember Ronald Reagan was 77 when he left office. You would be 78 entering office. And you have said yourself that you are a transition candidate. Does that mean a one-term president? What does that mean? No, it doesn't mean. So you're leaving open the possibility you'll serve eight years if you're elected. Absolutely. Wait, wait a second. I, I thought I thought he was only going to do four years. Now he's saying it's eight years. <laughs> hold on, hold the phone. Hold on a second. He's going to be a transition candidate. We we are all. I thought we we're in the trust tree, Biden. I thought we we're in the nest. It's going to be eight years now. So so now he's saying that yeah yeah he could he could end up being president when he's eighty four. How about a hundred and ten, Joe? Any limits to this at all? I love it. He says. You know, about his mental fitness, watch me. Yeah, we've been watching you. With the blonde leg hairs and the corn pop and the, you know, the, you know, the, 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 the thing, the, you know, we got unbel- unbelievable, unbelievable, the stuff that this guy has. Well, what was it? What was that line that he has? You know, uh, and it was. You know, we believe these these truths to be self-evident, you know, and the the the, the, the thing, <laughs> whatever the heck that was. This guy is, he's just, he's just too much. He really is. Um, they're, they're, they're trying to pull really what should be impossible, which is convincing people that this guy, that, that what they see is not reality. And what even the media admitted was reality a year ago has for no apparent reason changed. That's where we are. That's where we are. Um, and also, you're not supposed to pay attention to the very strange way this whole campaign is being run. You're not, you're not supposed to care that Joe Biden doesn't really sit for questions with normal... You know, it's, it's all very staged. It's all... Okay, David Weir... By the way, where did this guy... Are we are we doing like just catalog models now get to be the ABC news anchor? Well, what's the where did this guy come from? It's amazing. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I understand the restrictions of covid and campaigning in this time. But can you win a presidential election from home? We will. We're going to follow the science. What the scientists tell us, we've been able to travel places when we've been able to do it in a way that we don't cause the congregation of large numbers of people. Look what happens, what, what's happened with his, his events. People die. People get together. They don't wear masks. They end up getting COVID. They end up dying. So when you hear the president say this guy's afraid to leave his basement. Guess what? <laughs> I have left my basement. And but here on the meantime, 500 million people have watched what I've done out of my basement. And guess what? People are listening. People are listening. It's about being responsible. Yeah, man, he's just listening to science. It's not that he's just trying to hide and see if they can pull off fooling the American people into voting for this stupid empty suit. Yeah, you know, is there anything there? Yeah, sure. I, I've got to tell you, um, if if this country votes for Joe Biden, unfortunately, well, I was going to say we deserve what we get and we deserve it long and long and hard. But the truth is, those of us that don't vote for, vote for him, you know, we don't deserve it, but we're going to have to deal with it. We're going to get it, too. 
we're going to get a two. It's going to be very, uh, very unfortunate if that is to happen. Biden is running a campaign that's really the non-campaign campaign, right? He's going to stay home. He's going to stay in the basement. Oh, all because of the science, what the science says. Uh, you may have also noticed recently that there's a, an uptick in cases. Um, there's an uptick in cases in, let's start with this one, Hawaii, for example, a state that I love, even though its politics are horrible, just like New York. I love it, but its politics are awful. Uh, I mean, Hawaii is, to me, one of the most beautiful places in the world, and I would take any excuse I can to visit. But that all said, uh, they have had a huge spike in cases in, in Hawaii recently, which is interesting because they also had mask wearing in public in the open air mandated uh, over a month ago. So you, you not only have to wear a mask indoors, you have to wear a mask outdoors, too, in Hawaii. Everyone's wearing masks all the time. Huge spike in cases in Hawaii. Very liberal place. What, what are we going to be told now? Uh, I, I thought if we just wore masks that everything would be okay and it wouldn't spread this way. I, I thought that the, the lib media and the Democrat Party, because of the science, was in a position to tell us for the last 60 days or so that the reason there were all these COVID cases was because we weren't listening to them enough well hawaii has been listening all along and hawaii is even far ahead of of other states has been ahead of other states with masking along um you have they have more per capita cases in hawaii than in arizona right now and if you look at a chart of when hawaii started mandating masks uh for out for outdoors um, what they would show you is what, what the chart shows you is that they mandated outdoor mask wearing. And then a month later, there was a huge, a huge spike in cases. Well, how is that? I mean, I, you know, how, how do you explain this on July 7th? Honolulu required the single greatest concentration required masks outdoors. And then about three weeks after Honolulu takes the step of requiring outdoor masks required, not just no social distancing and then you mask outdoor masks. Huge spike in cases, just like like a rocket ship in cases. But I thought masks are work. I thought they're really effective. Oh, maybe all those peer reviewed CDC studies about how masks don't do anything to stop influenza in reality. Uh, maybe those are more relevant than people want to believe right now. But, you know, people are scared. They also don't want to think they've been fooled or what they're doing is stupid. I saw Rob O'Neill, uh, the Navy SEAL who got justice for America and the world by taking out Osama bin Laden. Rob's a, Rob's a good guy. I've met Rob a few times. And you know, he was on D uh, Delta Airlines flight and took a photo of himself saying that he's it, I won't repeat what he said exactly. But he said he's not wearing a mask because he understands from bio warfare training that this is absurd that wearing a little piece of cloth where there's air coming in and out of the mask and, and it's also you're breathing right through that this isn't going to do anything. And Delta threatened to ban him from future flights. So that's that's where we are now. We, we are in a place where at the beginning of this year it was don't wear masks. And now if you even suggest that people shouldn't wear masks, you can get banned from flying. Where is the evidence that, that, that shows that we are so certain about this doesn't exist? And here I'm looking at a chart of Hawaii 
They have made businesses require masks since the 20th of April in Hawaii. Honolulu required masks outdoors starting on July, and they had very low cases, very low cases. Honolulu requires masks outdoors July 7th. Three weeks later, explosion in cases. What happened? What changed? What happened? The virus finally made its way to the Hawaiian Islands. The population hadn't been exposed to it, and it spread like wildfire. And all this stuff about how, oh, if only we had the... No, no, no. You look at... Europe has no idea how many cases it's actually had. None. The EU? EU is huge. You think all these countries in the EU, you you think uh, they, they know how many cases they've really had? That's why people keep comparing it U.S. cases to EU cases. In terms of overall deaths, we're pretty close. The EU, the entire European Union, and the United States. On a per capita basis, there are numerous large European countries that are worse off than America. But what the Democrats do is they say, well, look at how many, uh, how many cases we have versus how many they have. They've controlled the virus. No, the virus probably spread through the healthy population almost unnoticed. And when it made its way into the nursing homes in Spain and Italy, it killed a whole lot of people, which is uh, really tragic. But just work this through yourself and you can start to see what makes sense and what doesn't. If, if only we wore more masks is not reasonable. That's not a reasonable position. That's not a reasonable answer to this question about what could have been done differently. Um, and, and look, Biden is out there telling us all. That if he had his way, he would con- he would do another f- freaking shutdown. I just it drives me completely insane. Play clip one. If you're sworn in come January and we have coronavirus and the flu combining, which many scientists have said is a real possibility. Would you be prepared to shut this country down again? I would be prepared to do whatever it takes to save lives because we cannot get the country moving until we control the virus. That is the fundamental flaw of this administration's thinking to begin with. In order to keep the country running and moving and the economy growing and people employed, you have to fix the virus. You have to deal with the virus. So if the scientists say shut it down, I would shut it down. I would listen to the scientists. What does that mean? Listen to the scientists. Consensus isn't science. What Dr. Fauci says any one given day is not science. That's just one guy's opinion. Okay, get a weird rash. Go to three different dermatologists who spend a lot of time in med school. Guarantee you at least two of the three, if not all three, will give you a somewhat different diagnosis if it's kind of a funky you know, skin condition that's not obvious. They've actually done studies of this when you go to specialists with a condition that if your primary care doctor is, doesn't know what something is and you go to a specialist and there's any, you know, and it, it, it gets in that zone of they're not, it's not obvious what, what you're facing. Very high number of, of secondary doctors uh, or specialists would uh, come up with a differential diagnosis or a different diagnosis from each other. Very high. So I know we always like, they have the answers. Really? Go, go into a doctor's office and tell them that you have irritable bowel syndrome and see how much fun that is when they talk to you about the million different things that could cause it, the million different ways that you might be able to treat it, almost all of which probably aren't going to help, right? I mean, there's a lot of stuff out there that if you go into a doctor, go in and say you've got chronic back pain. 
you know, the, all the different modalities. I'm not saying doctors, obviously, they can do amazing things. They save lives all the times. So they're great. I'm just saying they're not miracle workers. Right? It's the same. You know, you, lawyers can be great. Lawyer can can save your save your butt. But uh, people still get lawyers and go to prison for a long time. Right. It's not a it's not just, oh, well, they're the expert. They're going to fix this. I'll listen to the I'll listen to the scientists. That's not how this works. The scientists are there to advise the administration, the policy decisions, because the policies here are an intersection of constitutional rights, economic freedom and activity, national security considerations. There's all these different things that come together. St. Fauci doesn't have the answer to any of those things, doesn't know a damn thing about any of it. But he's there, you know, listen to me, I'm a scientist, I know, I know what's going on, I'm a... Yeah, maybe he's taking another photo shoot on the cover of InStyle magazine. Yeah, he's, he's really just, just all about the science, friends. Uh, this, this, is, this is not just absurd, it's getting obscene. Uh, that, that Biden would require a mask mandate outdoors. I, I, I hate this thing, okay? I think this is dumb. I think wearing a mask outside is stupid. It is absolutely and, and no one is going to win an argument on this because I've looked at all of the all of the science that is presented on this in the mainstream discourse. I've looked at all of the different studies and there is nothing to suggest that wearing a mask outside is in any way useful. There is no actual data to prove that this is useful in stopping this disease, but they're going to mandate that anyway. It's just about control. People are afraid. They're scared. You know, this is where we have to start thinking about how we really are just mammals and we're afraid of being alone and we're afraid of the dark and we're afraid of little teeny tiny things that we all know can kill us and one day probably will kill us at some point. Hopefully we'll be older. Hopefully we'll have lived a nice life. But there is no live forever. There is no perfect future. And the government that promises you that those things are, you know, that what I'm telling you is not true is the government you should be deeply concerned about. That's the, you want to be afraid? Be afraid of that government. Oh, we'll protect you from all these things. Just give us all of your rights. Oh, we'll protect you from all of these things. Just do exactly as we say, no matter how much it changes, no matter how much we go back on our own, uh, on our own dictates. It's constantly happening around these issues. Constant changing of things, depending on what they think at any given time benefits them in the Democrat Party politically. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. What's the latest in double standards from the lockdown crowd? Remember when there was the fifth or sixth or whatever it was, John Lewis funeral? You're still not allowed to have funeral for your loved ones. That's a dangerous gathering. John Lewis funeral, though, that's, you know, he's important. Not important to you, but important to the nation, they will tell you, right? But you can't have, you know, if you're, you're, relative died no funeral because that's sorry too much of a risk and then they waived in the district of columbia they waived the requirement of a court i'm still under quarantine right now in new york i'm living under quarantine i get stupid text messages from the test and trace corps can't see my parents you know have all these restrictions on me it's absurd but uh you know they they have a mandatory two-week quarantine for those traveling to new york from coronavirus hotspots. that's the story except there, there is a um, there is an exception in place now for for celebrities traveling to the VMAs, the Video Music Awards, because that's really important too. 
Oh, that's right. We've expanded beyond John Lewis's funeral. Now, if you're a if you're a pop star, if you're Ariana Grande, it's like so important to go to the VMAs. So they're now saying you don't have to quarantine if you go to New York for the VMAs. They waive it. How does this work? I'm sorry. If you're a famous celebrity, you're not at risk for the virus now. Is that the new story? Oh, the, the virus won't infect really, really cool hip pop stars. You know, if, if you are the uh, the vocalist behind WAP, if you are that person. Uh, you will find yourself somehow immune from covid. <sighs> I've got to say, it's just unbelievable. The double standards. The double standards. And they, and they just look at us all in the face and say, what are you going to do about it? What are you gonna, well, Trump wants to do something about COVID, if not also the double standards around it. He's talking about the uh, possibility of using convalescent plasma in a, in the, in a way to you know, do everything that, that we can here to try to save as many lives as possible. But... They are well. First, here's the president making the announcement. Would you would you play uh, producer Mark the convalescent plasma announcement on the therapeutics front? This is what I've been looking to do for a long time. This is a great thing. Today, I'm pleased to make a truly historic announcement in our battle against the China virus that will save countless lives. The FDA has issued an emergency use authorization and uh, that's such a a powerful term emergency use authorization for a treatment known as convalescent plasma this is a uh, powerful therapy that transfuses very very strong antibodies from the blood of recovered patients to help treat patients battling a current infection it's had an incredible rate of success today's action will dramatically expand access to this treatment Convalescent plasma is showing some promising signs. It's just the antibodies of people who have already beaten the virus, introducing those antibodies into other people who are currently fighting the virus. A straightforward proposition. It has worked very well for a lot of different uh, afflictions in the past. It's it's not yet ironclad on the science that it will work for this one, but it it seems, you know, the FDA for compassionate use, etc. is going forward with it. I, I just want to know what's going on over like CNN and MSNBC headquarters now. Are, are they for or against convalescent plasma to work? Can we get them on the record here? I'm not saying can they tell us if it works. I'm saying are they rooting for it? Really think about that. Do you think that most of, of the CNN newsroom is hoping that this could be a game changer in the fighting right now? I'm not saying they wouldn't want it to be a game changer at some point in the future, you know. They know that there are people who are at stake here, their lives are at risk, but do you think that they want it? Are they going to root for or against convalescent plasma to work? We've seen what they've done with hydroxychloroquine, making sure that, I mean, they've lied about hydroxychloroquine, said that it's a dangerous drug, said these are lies. So, so they're clearly trying to wage a politicized campaign against that drug and any kind of usage against COVID-19. What about convalescent plasma? CNN, thumbs up or thumbs down on this one? What, what, are you, what are you looking for? You want it to work or no? I'm just curious what we're going to see in the coverage. Thanks for listening to the Bus Sex and Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Well, as there were more riots, looting, and mayhem uh, over the weekend because of what happened in Kenosha, Wisconsin, a uh, unarmed black man shot by a cop, a white cop, and this is now turning into another BLM uh, frenzy. People are very, uh, you know, outraged, and they're destroying businesses as a result, as if that somehow makes anything better. Let's actually talk to somebody who understands what it means to be a cop dealing with situations where you have to make these choices, life and death decisions, your own safety, the safety of those around you at risk. John Cardillo is with us now. He's formerly of the NYPD. Now he is a TV host and a political commentator. Follow him on Twitter, John Cardillo. Hey, John, great to have you back. Always good to see you, Buck. All right. So what did you see? I mean, just take me tactically through this where in, in the scene, I'm sure you've watched the video multiple times, as, as I have and, and many listening will have Jacob Blake. There's a he's the individual who was shot here by cops. He's he's allegedly trying to get into to, to break up a domestic dispute between two females. This is uh, not yet confirmed, but he's going around his vehicle. Cops are talking to him. What are you seeing and how do you describe what's happening here as an after action report? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great question, Buck. It's really the question, you know, capital T-H-E. So what I'm seeing as former law enforcement is a little bit different than what the Twitter masses are seeing. We know that police were called to a domestic violence situation, like you note accurately. The narrative is, well, he was breaking up a fight between two women. We don't know that to be true, but we do know that the two most dangerous incidents for patrol officers are car stops, those you know, routine car stops, and domestic violence incidents. That's where the majority of police officers are hurt, killed, etc. They respond. Now, standard operating procedure would be to get the names of everyone involved, possibly run on your vehicle computer license plates of everyone there. Had they done that in this case, I don't know if they did. I would be shocked if they didn't because it's always standard operating procedure to know who you're dealing with. They would have found that Jacob Blake had an outstanding warrant for three different charges, all with domestic violence enhancement. One was criminal trespass, domestic enhancement. The second, the most egregious, felony sexual abuse with a domestic enhancement. And the third, a little less disorderly conduct with that enhancement. Now the police have no discretion, Buck zero discretion a warrant especially an outstanding felony warrant is an order from a judge saying arrest this person on site police officers you have zero discretion i'm the judge i've issued the warrant that is an order to you law enforcement to bring this person in the second you encounter them so now the guy presumably knows that he's going to go go through the system he starts trying to evade the police like you know by walking around his vehicle this is where to me, it becomes an entirely justifiable police use of force. And there's another false narrative out there that Jacob Blake is dead. He's not. He's in stable condition in the hospital awaiting what I presume to be arrangement. arraignment. Now, what I see at that point are the police are putting their hands on him, not being heavy handed. He lunges into the vehicle in the police academy. You were with NYPD. You were an intel analyst, but you work with cops all day. There were key phrases they teach in the academy. Lungeable, grabbable area. Any reasonable police officer, any reasonable police officer with a modicum of experience would be able to articulate that when Jacob Blake lunged into that vehicle, when he extended his arm, a weapon, doesn't matter if it's a gun, a knife, a baseball bat, was well within that lungeable, grabbable area. You combine that with the police officer's training and experience with what they might have known about Blake, an open 
violent felony warrant and his non-compliance at every single step of the way during their interaction with him, which culminates in him evading them, resisting them, lunging into that vehicle, extending his arm, I see an entirely justifiable police use of force. And I'll go one step further. At any step during that encounter, Jacob Blake could have simply complied with police and this would have ended peacefully. So I don't see charges for the cops. And if charges are brought, I see the police being exonerated because they did exactly what cops around the world are trained to do every day for decades upon decades. Now, John, let me let me throw at you some of the, the narrative out there because you actually yeah. have expertise in this. I and mean, one of the, the one of the only things I mean, the, the, the media knows nothing about guns, but the only thing that's close to that is is actual law enforcement procedure. So it's important to get into right. the specifics, right. right? The details You know, the same the same reporters well, that yeah, write. Twitter, yeah. I was going to say the same reporters that are writing about about, um, you know, about chainsaw bazookas or whatever are the reporters that are saying, why didn't they just use the special, you know, police ninja move that just peaceably Mm -hmm. disarms everybody and like no one ever gets hurt. Right. So that what they're going to say is why seven shots, John? Because you're trained from day one in the academy to shoot until the threat is stopped. It doesn't matter if it's one round. It doesn't matter if it's 16 rounds and you reload your service weapon. You keep firing until you're sure the threat is stopped. Because, Buck, here's the very important, the critical nuance. The second you make the determination as a police officer or as a private legally armed citizen to escalate to deadly force, to fire that weapon, you are now saying to the world at large, to the legal system, to yourself, your conscience, God, I believe that my life or the lives of surrounding innocents is in mortal danger or the personal safety of the same are in mortal danger. I'm going to fire until the threat is stopped. That's why seven rounds. It's an arbitrary number. It doesn't matter if it was one or if it was 17. It's done until the threat is stopped. You fire until you feel everything is safe. Now, John, we're speaking to John Cardillo, formerly of the NYPD. He's now a uh, political and TV commentator. So, John, uh, th- then there's the issue of the force escalation here. I-, I read that they had already tried to use a taser, which I'm assuming this wasn't. I, I didn't see this on the video. I, I-, I could have maybe missed some part of it. I mean, there's a lot of information still coming in. But the reports are they already tried to use a taser. And I, I feel like there's a little bit of a-, of a sense out there among the general public, certainly fanned, uh, fanned by the media, that if you use a taser, well, then everything should be OK. But we keep seeing that. It's a tool, but it's a, clearly an imperfect tool. Sure. Look, tasers, uh, uh, pepper spray, batons, these things are all arbitrary when it comes to a certain suspect. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Look, personal experience. We had a guy, big guy in great shape in the Bronx. We tased him. He pulled the barbs out and laughed in our face. From three feet away, Buck, I hit this guy dead in the eyes, emptied an entire can of pepper spray. You know what he did? He wiped his eyes off, licked his fingers, said, mm, and started fighting with us. He, he actually ate the pepper spray. Some of these guys are bad guys. They're tough, tough guys. The non-lethal devices don't work on them. So, again, I didn't see a taser used in the video. I was there comment on that. But had a non-lethal not worked, I wouldn't be shocked. I've seen it on the street time and again. Non-lethal. Everybody thinks they're panaceas. They're magic bullets, tasers, rubber bullets, uh, pepper spray. They're not in the real world. In fact, they, they often fail to incapacitate suspects as often as they do work to incapacitate them. Uh, John, also on the uh, issue of chokeholds, 
pre, you know, carotid holds. I feel like everyone now has discovered this term of a carotid hold, which is, you know, but, but this is, you know, this is what they're talking about. This is what they're saying. Uh, what, it, what is true about this? I mean, take me back into, you know, NYPD Academy and also your time on the street. Uh, it, it seems to me like, I mean, I was talking about this, uh, I've been thinking about this for, for a while. Like the expectation is that law enforcement now are all, you know, highly trained MMA fighters with jujitsu backgrounds who are going to be stronger, faster, fitter, and, and able to deal with people who have lethal intent often toward them or, or serious injury intent toward them and not have to respond in ways that leave marks or could really hurt somebody. Well, what do we need to know about the, the Democrat proposal for a chokehold ban? How much time do we have? But I mean, look, the, 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 the most the most violent collision I've ever experienced is the collision of what the public thinks the police ought to be and what civil service laws demand the police become. Right. There was a girl in my academy class who was so obese, so horribly out of shape that she was held back in the academy for four years. She was paid as a New York City police officer because she was a woman considered a minority in New York City, white woman. She couldn't be fired when she was hired, but the taxpayers of the city of New York paid for her to sit in the academy because she wouldn't stop eating Twinkies and couldn't run around the gym for four years. Eventually, she got on the street. She was so dangerous on the street that they sat her inside a station house and for 20 years she answered phones with a gun and a shield as a New York City police officer. To me, that's, that's just horrible, right? She put lives at risk, but that's the intersection of what ought to be and civil service laws. Then, even if a cop is in the best shape possible, I don't care if they were a Navy SEAL, if they were uh, a tier one special operator prior to, deployed seven times prior to law enforcement, unless they're training on their own with their firearms, with their with their uh, physical fitness, their, their fighting skills, departments don't have the money, bandwidth, or resources to put police officers through that kind of training. These are unrealistic expectations. So chokeholds, they work. A lot of departments around the country still allow cops to use them. They work very, very well on very aggressive suspects, but they're the media's bad word, the new four-letter word du jour, chokehold, right? It doesn't matter if they're effective. It doesn't matter if they do save lives. It doesn't matter if one or two anecdotal incidents showed them going the wrong way, and then it turned out the person had 97% clogged arteries or was hopped up on methamphetamine. The facts don't matter. It's just the bad word du jour, so let's eliminate them. And I, I think it'll have disastrous effects on actual policing and police use of force uh, and, and police morale. You think, John, if we see continued madness on the streets, not just in Wisconsin, but in other cities, perhaps even here in NYC, uh, do you think that this will blow back on Democrats or is the media just able to cover for them still? Oh, I think it's already happening. I, I really do. I, I was at my beach club the other night. I met a couple. They were new members. They had uh, just moved down from New York and we were having a good conversation. And they said, you know, they said, we don't want to talk about politics, but I have some tattoos that make it pretty obvious what my political leanings are. And they said, you know, we've been and they went like, you know, the quotes and they said, we've been Upper West Side Jewish liberals our whole lives and we will never vote Democrat again. And when I walked them out to their car, we left together. They had a Trump bumper sticker on the car. I mean, I'm seeing the blowback. I live in very blue Broward County and very quietly people are saying, hey, look, we're not Trump fans. We don't like conservatives. But hey. We're not voting for this. This isn't John Kennedy's Democrat Party. Democratic Party. This is not what we signed up for. So we're either going to sit it out or vote Trump. I tweeted today. I think Black Lives Matter is, is one of the Trump campaign's best assets at this point. 
John Cardillo, formerly of the NYPD, now a commentator out there. Follow him on social media. John, always great to have your expertise, my friend. We'll talk soon. Always good to see you, Buck. Thanks, Ben. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Got to tell you, of all the really, truly stupid controversies out there, and this is a tough one. Because there are there are a lot of them. Uh, there are a lot of them to choose from. So this is a pretty competitive uh, area. But of all the really dumb conspiracy theories that I've heard recently, or, or, or I shouldn't say conspiracies, kerfuffles. The Melania Trump has destroyed the White House Rose Garden. <laughs> it's the dumbest is the dumbest thing I have ever and. Big journalists are freaking out about it. I mean, the journalists that are, oh, I went to Columbia Journalism School, and I'm really all about the facts, and I speak truth to power. Uh, journalism, and apparently Brian Stelter, I, I, I do the same impression for the, the uh, run-of-the-mill journalist and for Brian Stelter these days. But it's really like, I'm just very upset about it. I'm really just, I'm a journalist, and it really makes me upset. Newsweek right here. Melania Trump faces backlash for Rose Garden renovation. Let's see what they, uh, the, the subheading here is great, too. Uh, she, she cut down Jackie's trees. Oh, my gosh. Melania Trump, ex-New York Times reporter, apologizes for xenophobic attack on First Lady. That's right. There was a guy who has a pretty big following on Twitter. And and he he referred to Melania Trump's revamped Rose Garden as a fascist parade ground. I mean, if you looked at it, it it's there. There is absolutely <laughs> these people are so nuts. Oh, my gosh. Former New York Times reporter, according to The Independent, apologized after launching a xenophobic attack on Melania Trump after the first lady unveiled the newly designed Rose Garden at the White House. In tweets that have since been deleted, Kurt Eichenwald branded the president's wife who obtained U.S. citizenship. Um, a, he, he referred to her as a uh, as a foreigner. Wow. Who has no right to wreck our history. See, this is perfect, though, friends. Melania Trump has been a U.S. citizen for 14 years. So when 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 elite Democrats pretend that they're like, oh, we're a nation of immigrants. They only like immigrants as a general thing, as a general idea, insofar as they vote for Democrats. If you're an immigrant, you're listening to the show right now and you vote Republican. They don't like you. They're not happy you're here. Right. Then we see this. I mean, Melania Trump is objectively uh, the most stunningly beautiful, multilingual. And, and I, I think maybe the first immigrant first lady in history. And all the media do is is you know, spit in her general direction. It, it's appalling. It is appalling. Uh, but there's even there's even more about this that people said. Um, it's uh, it's just oh, my God, uh, they this is Trump derangement syndrome in, you know, it, it's, it's like if you're trying to distill it down to its essence. Here you go. The first lady changed the Rose Garden and people are calling her a foreigner who has no right to be here or do anything having to do with the White House. And, or, and, and another guy referred to it as a fascist parade ground. I forget that was another, um, you know, lib reporter. Uh, un, 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 unbelievable. 
the stuff that you see here. Unbelievable. But I guess I got to not say that because it's all entirely believable in a sense. These these people are are appalling morons, appalling morons. And they have no introspection. They have no sense of, of decency or sense of, of of fairness in how they report on things. And they absolutely hate this first lady. They absolutely hate her. Speaking of uh, things that are absurd and appalling, here's some of the trailer for The Comey Rule, because now the libs, just in time for the election on Showtime, the channel, are going to try to turn James Comey into a hero again. Here's some of that trailer. Play 15. So we are now 15 days before a presidential election, and we have to go through 347,000 emails to determine if one of the candidates in that election needs to be indicted. Russia, we think they're trying to sabotage Secretary Clinton's campaign. How? Never spend much time on Facebook. Hours to go before the polls begin to close. Wisconsin, you see the lead? This is a sweep. Dr. Comey, the networks have all called it for Trump. No one has ever succeeded like I have. This was not espionage. This was an attack. This was not espionage. This was an attack. An attack on our democracy. It's Facebook ads that say things like lock her up about Hillary and MAGA. This is an attack on our democracy. Liberals have no. They have no perspective anymore. There's no ability to have a normal conversation about anything. They're completely insane. All right. The, 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 it was not an attack on our democracy. It was, oh, my gosh, Russia, Facebook ads. I hate to break the news to people, but America's been getting involved in other people's elections for a very long time. I know this also might be a little bit of a shock to some folks, but I'm not saying it means that we should allow it here. But we're also, oh, my gosh, now the the outrage overall that it's so interesting, isn't it? Friends, uh, James Comey is slime. But he's useful to the left right now, so they're going to try to pull this whole thing off where they make him look like a hero. That's the, that's the exciting part of being a lib. They make the HBO movie and they lie about how awesome you are. Or the Showtime movie. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Liberty, truth, and great hair. those funky beats it's time for roll call it is roll call time everybody facebook.com slash buck sexton or team buck at iheartmedia.com that's the best way to get or instagram buck sexton send a direct message there um Good idea to put roll call at the beginning of it so I don't have to wonder if I'm going to open an Instagram message and someone's going to say, blankety blank, you're blanking blank, I blanking hate you. So, you know, of course, now some of the crazy libs will hear this and say, aha, I just put roll call. And then he'll look at the message. The moment I if I see a four letter word in the first like three words of a, of a message preview on Instagram or any of our social accounts, I, I delete it. <laughs> I don't read it. I'm not like, oh, yeah, let me right. Producer Mark is probably a good idea. I mean, your name is a four letter word, so. You know what I mean. So are both roll and call. Good point. Fair. True. But I mean a dirty word. Profanity. We don't like any of that profanity stuff. How was producer Mark's weekend? Fine. Uneventful, really. I went grocery shopping. That's like my big outing every other week. 
I feel like every time I go grocery shopping, there's there's one thing that I'm excited to buy, and there's a lot of things like you know eggs and butter that I'm like I gotta buy this and milk. Uh, what was the one thing you were excited to buy? Oh, always ice cream. What what'd you go with? Chocolate ice cream. Just chocolate straight up. Well, there's this grocery store we go to called Stu Leonard's, which has really a soft serve, so they package mm. it up and put it in, in containers. Yeah. Can't go wrong with the. I I was thinking maybe you're gonna say some funky hippie thing, and I was gonna make fun of you for like getting Ben and Jerry's, you know. Chunky Monkey hey, or something like that. Don't hate on Ben and Jerry's. They're delicious. Whatever. It's commie ice cream. But chocolate, you can't mess with chocolate. It's delicious. All right. We'll get to the roll call. We've got uh, Staz. Is that right? Maybe Stas. Stas. Okay. Hey, Buck. Greetings from Wo Land, Fort Wayne, Indiana. Shameless pandering, but love the show. Producer Mark is great. Well, thank you. Perhaps I missed it, but I didn't hear anything about the wrong Trump hashtag trending on Twitter when Robert Trump passed away, Libs were openly saying they wished it was the president who died. As disgusting as it was, I'm not surprised. Just surprised I didn't hear much from any conservatives pointing it out. Keep up the good work and shields high. Um, yeah, look, I, I, I know that there were people that when the president's brother died, they were celebrating on social media because they're ghoulish uh, imbeciles with no honor, decency or or real real worth as individuals. So that's, you know, I, I'll tell you this. We, we never there's never any of that here. And, and that's one thing that we always adhere to. And I will say, I think conservative media in, in the news media landscape is generally far more. Uh, our, our, the audience holds us to a standard of decency that the left because the libs are insane. They don't have. I mean, these people really are deranged. There's something wrong with them. They, they forget about their common humanity. They forget about what really matters. You know, I saw this with, uh, with Kellyanne Conway now saying that she's stepping down from uh, the White House at the end of this month. And also George Conway, her husband, whose behavior has been, has been disgusting. I mean, it really has been horrific when your wife works for the president for you to be attacking the president on social media so publicly. You know, you don't. George Conway is not anyone whose opinion anyone really cares about. And anyway, but. And the, the, the daughter, people were trying to convince the daughter, bring in, she's 15 years old, she's a minor, she should be no part of any of this, bringing her into it, and it just became this sort of spectator sport to ruin the Conways and turn them against each other and all this stuff. So they're both now, the parents are stepping away and focusing on the family. I've got to say, that's, it's a good move. So, I mean, I'm not a part of any of this, and I don't even know them, but it sounds like maybe it would have been a good move a while ago, but it's certainly... Moving them in the right direction, and that, that, I think, is a reminder for all of us that, there look, there are more important things than politics. There are more important things than likes and follows on social media. More important things even than having a lot of power and making a lot of money. These are all, these are all true statements. I, I, knew, I grew up here in New York City, and I was never a rich, I was never a rich person, but I was around a lot of and, and was, was close to some very, very rich people, and I can tell you this right now. There are very influential, very wealthy people who are truly, utterly, uh, utterly miserable human beings. Like wake up in the morning and hate their lives. I know that. I know it sounds trite. I know you're like, come on, man. I would just fly around in my private jet and it would be like a beer commercial. And all the this is for the guys out there, obviously. All the ladies would be in bikinis everywhere and it'd be amazing. No. You know, you still got to wake up in the morning, think about who you are. You still have your personal relationships. You still have your own insecurities and your own. And if you didn't make the money, that can be even more of a of a challenge psychologically for people, because now you get to live this 
very rarefied existence and never really know who you are or what you're worth. Uh, I don't mean worth financially, I mean worth as a person. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not surprised about any, any of the nasty stuff said about Trump's brother when he, when he died, um, because libs are, are ferocious savages, but that's what's going on. Wait, don't these defund police nuts realize that without the police presence, so many would have been eliminated by the citizens. The police are protecting them. I mean, Wade, you would think that that anybody with a brain would recognize that uh, getting rid of cops would mean more people die, more violence, more misery, more despair in the streets. You would think that would be the case. But, you know, I don't know. Libs are a little crazy. And they clearly think that right now it's more important politically to pander and to pretend that, you know, that's not that important to pretend that cops are not that necessary for our society. It's it's stupid beyond words, but it is it is true. It is reality. Uh, So, I mean, I would hope that they would recognize that. But unfortunately, they do not. Michael writes present, sir, not wanting to be prejudiced by talk radio or talk or news. I decided to give Joe Biden the benefit of the doubt and watch his entire speech. And it didn't end up a good recipe for me. The end really grabbed me, and I wondered if he was coach. Sound serious, Joe. Give them your serious face, the serious Joe face. Or he was talking while thinking, I should be here and have to do this. I should have been president of the United, or I shouldn't be here and have to do this. I should have been the president of the United States already. After the acceptance speech, the thought of Joe being president scared the hell out of me. Yeah, I look, I, um, you know, I think that Joe Biden is a super weak candidate. It's not just a super weak candidate. This guy shouldn't be president. Forget about, is he not a strong candidate? The guy shouldn't be president. It's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. He represents an ideology that will be harmful, and he doesn't have the personal characteristics necessary to hold back the crazier elements of his own party. So I I think it's a complete disaster if this actually happens. David, hey, Buck, love the barbecue talk. I never understand why North Carolina gets accolades for their vinegar-based barbecue. What is more important is the dry rub applied, pairing of smoke wood to the meat and temperature and duration of the smoke. People use barbecue sauces to cover up their shortcuts. You should only need a slaw and a preferred pepper sauce for the real deal. Just saying, David, I I had a great time with the folks of North Carolina when I was down there and it was worth it, even though I've had to be in quarantine now for two weeks because uh, New York doesn't allow you to visit North Carolina without being in quarantine. I, I had a great time down there and I, I've just got to say, I had some very good food and wonderful people. North Carolina barbecue. I went to a place called King's, which I was it was very highly regarded. I was told I think it's a chain, but it was supposed to be very, very good. And I remember just eating this. I was like, where I'm supposed to just pour some vinegar on my pulled pork. That's it. Really? Really? I don't I don't know. Maybe some of you in North Carolina, you could explain to me how how that is going to stack up against you know, my my heartache experience in Dallas or my, um, you know, Pecan Lodge experience in Dallas or some, you know, I can't remember the name of the place. It was right next to the uh, the Music Hall of Fame in Nashville. But it was a barbecue joint right there that was fantastic, like a block away from the Music Hall of Fame in downtown Nashville. Uh, I, I don't understand how this stuff. Producer Mark, you ever had North Carolina barbecue? I haven't. And it doesn't sound good. Based on, I mean, I'm sure the meat is good, but I would want some barbecue sauce. 
That's the best fun. part. And there's a lot of like breaded fried stuff. And you know that that tastes good, but there's too much stuff that's just breaded and fried. We need to. North Carolina has great farm to table produce. There's so much more there. I don't know, man. Look, I probably needed to go to some hippie town with like a college town, you know, or, or or city like Durham, and I'm sure they've got great restaurants and stuff there. I was out. I was out in a more rural area, but I'm I, I, I look North Carolina. I love you, but your barbecue did not blow my socks off. I just got to be honest about it. And I know now I'm taking sides in the great barbecue wars of America, but I'm just going to say it. I've had Brooklyn barbecue. Yes. Brooklyn commie barbecue. That was better than my North Carolina barbecue. Texas, whole other, whole other league. Texas barbecue is like the food of the gods. Tennessee barbecue. Absolutely love it. North Carolina. I don't know. David. Oh, wait, we already did David. Evan. I love your analysis of how if Trump was really a fascist, he could have really easily justified an enormous power grab considering all this lockdown madness. I don't think most people can define fascism, though. I always think of it as someone holding a gun to your head saying, do what I say as a simple kind of definition. But I don't think most people could even define the word as simply as that. What do we what do we do in the face of the willfully ignorant mob? Evan, this is always a good question. I get this so much doing radio and doing the things that I do. You know, how do we win or how do we convince them to stop being so dumb? And I, I feel I feel like the answers are always so insufficient. You know, how do you win an argument with a with a willfully ignorant mob? I think you just dig in and fight and you you do what you can, knowing that you may not win. You know, that some of the most important battles are the ones that you, you won't win. Um, now, this obviously goes against my don't charge the machine gun unless you have a plan to take it. But I mean, that's when you're taking a risk. Right? Losing a debate is not the kind of, you know, that's a different thing than putting yourself in a position to just suffer consequences without any uh, with, without any real hope of of succeeding. Uh, so, Evan, I, I don't have a, a ready and easy answer for you other than the ignorant mob is ascendant in this country. It, it is. Not entirely a, a product of the left, but it is dominated by the left. And it's very troubling. And I, I wish I could say that at a, at a time when we have more access to free information, instantaneous. I mean, right now, you sitting with your with your phone or with your computer in front of you, if you have Internet access, you have access to more combined knowledge of the world and everything in it than all of the great scholars of the, you know, the 19th century, let's just say. All of them put together. All of them versus your access. You now have more access to information than all the smartest people of the uh, 19th century in America. And yet, we have morons running everywhere. I don't know. I don't know. I, I wish I could tell you that there was a, a better answer than that, but that's where we are. Uh, Roy. Hey, Buck, I'm a retired fire lieutenant. I worked at the city of Miami Fire Department for 32 years. I've spent about 98% of my career riding the ACLS paramedics unit. On one of my minor calls, I had a group of Australian citizens in my truck. I asked them if Australians really drink Fosters. Their answer was an emphatic no, not one second of hesitation. Love your podcast, Shields High. Roy, thanks for uh, keeping people safe and putting out the fires. And yeah, man, Australians, I have some Australian friends, they... They hate it when we do our bad versions of their accents. They hate it. So even I try to stay off that one because it's a very specific accent and it always, they don't like it. Although I will say Aussies as a group of people 
have one of the most affable attitudes of any group of people on planet Earth. I mean, they really are just Aussies just have a great attitude about things. You know, I mean, I know that's a big generalization, but they're friendly. They're laid back. You know, they're they're cool. I, I don't know. Aussies are Aussies are great people. It's it's like all the upside of British people without any of the snobbery. That's what I'd say. And a little bit more of a beach vibe in culture. That's what Aussies are like to me. And as for us, uh, as for Foster's, I can't drink beer anymore. But, you know, I know that even the guy who does the Australian for beer, that's not even that guy's not even Australian. That guy's probably name is like, uh, you know, Tony DiNapoli or something. And he lives north of producer Mark in uh, Bergen County or something. Right, producer Mark? Almost certainly. Almost certainly. You're in the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show podcast. All right, more roll call. Tim, what's happening, Buck? In addition to your reverse sear technique, next time you cook steak, plan a few days ahead and dry age your steaks. Wrap your individual steaks in a paper towel and place on a wire rack on the bottom shelf of the fridge. Replace the paper towel daily and age for four days. Heavily seasoned with nothing more than kosher salt, it's as good and far cheaper than aged steaks from a fine steakhouse. Keep rocking it, man. Shields high. Well, let me just say, Tim, I didn't even know that we were going to come to this in roll call, but producer Nick told me that he went reverse sear over the weekend for his steaks, and now he realizes game changer. It's like, do you want do you want perfect steaks? Now, I know all of, whenever I talk about my reverse sear, which I've done uh, now countless times, I'll even do a version of a reverse sear uh, with with a, if I have a really thick burger, um, you can reverse sear that. Too, because a really thick burger, you're gonna. It's very tough to, to cook that properly on a stovetop. I'm talking about one of those like, you know, two inch thick burger patties. You're gonna get it raw in the middle, or you're gonna overcook the outside. So the reverse sear is very effective for that too. But people always tell me, "Oh, what about sous vide?" And I'm like, guys, I'm not putting my steak in a. I I know it might work really well, but my reverse sear works. I'm not wrapping up the steak like a science experiment in plastic and dropping it in water and having a you know, I don't know. I don't know. I haven't done it, so I'm knocking it without trying it. But it, everyone always sends me the do the sous vide. I'm like, that sous vide is a fancy French word for complicated. Darn it. That's what I say. Reverse sear, you know, that's the way to go. We should come up with a cooler name for reverse sear, you know, like caveman cook or something. I don't know. Something that sounds a little more raw. Uh, but anyway, Tim, I'm so glad that uh, you shared this with me about how to do a, a sort of a, a whole at home hack for. Uh, doing a dry age at home. That's that's a cool way to do it. I mean, dry age steaks, I love it. And I was looking, I was at a, at a place over the weekend and they had a an American Wagyu style steak I wanted to get, but it was like $45 a pound. Real Wagyu is way more. It's like $16 or $20, maybe even $30, I think. But $20 an ounce, I think is pretty standard, or maybe it's $16 an ounce. Um, real Wagyu is is you know more expensive than having a really high-end drug habit sometimes. But uh, I, I just went with burgers instead. You know, I don't know. I cook a really good burger. You throw some, throw a little bit of an aioli on it. It's a fancy word for mayo with a little bit of olive oil thrown in. It's fantastic. I'm a big fan. I'm getting hungry now. Got to close up the show for today. Go check us out at BuckSexton.com. Shields high.